It is a privilege to be standing here, uh, up here with Pastor Mike and with his incredible wife, Miss Laura Lee. And I gotta tell you, you would be shocked if you knew how hard it was to get Mike to agree to be willing to celebrate this thing this weekend. And not because he didn't wanna celebrate what God has done in the life of hope. It's just if you know Mike, he's not a real pomp and circumstance kind of guy. He's, he'll tell you he never thought, his, never wanted to see his name in lights or anything like that. But um, so the next couple minutes are gonna be a little bit uncomfortable for him. Uh, but I told him, I said, this is something that we need to do this weekend. And, and if we do it on Monday, if you wanna fire me, which you have the authority to do, sir, and my kids would ask that you don't, you can do that. But I said, but in order for us to not do this, you're gonna have to wrestle me off the stage. And I wore tights this weekend and I'm ready to go. And so he conceded and said that we're, uh, we can move forward with this. But uh, while Mike was uh, hesitant, uh, when the idea began to surface, like, hey, this isn't a weekend to celebrate hope. This is a weekend to celebrate what God has done through Hope Community Church over the last 25 years. And if we can celebrate that and give glory and honor to God for what he's done and then use that as a springboard to talk about what it looks like he's calling us into in the future, that's something that we can really live into. And largely, that's what this weekend is all about. Having said that, Mike and Laura, um, Hope Community Church would not be what it is if it weren't for the two of you. And... Yes, I mean, God could have chosen anyone, but, but, but he didn't. He chose the two of you. And Mike, I can remember probably two decades ago, me hearing for the first time out of your mouth, I didn't come here, I didn't start a church that I necessarily needed to see be a big church, but God's given me this vision that, uh, that we would be a church, that when the community looks at our church, they might think, listen, we don't have any idea what they believe or what they teach. We just know that if the wheels fall off in somebody's life, that is a place that they can go and that's a place they're gonna be loved and that's gonna be a place where they're gonna be accepted. And Laura, you've had this, this passion to see families thrive and you've had this drive and I know because I worked with you some and you have this drive that you were committed to building quite possibly the greatest family ministry the world has ever known. And yes, while God did choose the two of you and he gave you that vision, all of us make decisions every day in our lives. And over the last 25 years, the two of you have been so faithful and you've persevered when times were hard. You've been humble enough to say, hey, listen, we don't have this whole thing figured out. We're gonna trust God anyway. You've been generous. And as a result of that generosity, as a result of that faithfulness, every single one of us in this room across all of our campuses, thousands and thousands of men, women, and children in our lives have been changed for all of eternity. And we've been caught up in this vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world. I can say personally, I know as a man, as a dad, as a husband, I wouldn't be where I am today. And that's one small story. And so as a result of that, it's appropriate for us to pause for a minute. And, and to show honor, and Mike will do this as unceremoniously as we possibly can for you. But on behalf of our elders, on behalf of our staff, it's my privilege to offer to our congregation, to our church community across all of our campuses in one collective voice uh, to say to the both of you, thank you.
Thank you. Um, I've said before that this, this is a great church. And um, I have one of the few really envy jobs in the world, to be honest with you, to get to do this. And I've often said that being a pastor of a, of a really great church is kind of like being a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, you probably get too much credit when things are going well, and you probably get too much blame when things aren't hitting on all cylinders. But the reality is, is you don't have a church like Hope Community Church with a whole lot of people. Uh, from day one, they were just all in. Uh, the other night, we had dinner with the original core group. In fact, I have a picture. There we are. And and uh, our kids were four, five, six, seven. They were all grown up. And in fact, we act, they're all like married. We have one of their spouses with them also. But that's really what happened. That's what it started from. It was that little core of people who God had laid on our hearts the opportunity to come here and start a church that maybe people would come to who had given up on church. And they would check it out. And maybe God would have the opportunity to show up in their lives. But those are the kinds of things that happen when people get to this circle that we're gonna be talking about this weekend. I mean, even when we were on Chapel Hill Road, you know, we grew from about 100 to about 1,000 people, and we had 93 parking spots at that building. But God just did amazing things, and then Mr. Martin came along and gave us the property here that we're on. I sat down the other day and shot an interview with him. It's about 20 minutes about what made him do that. This is a man who doesn't even go to our church. Why would, why would he do that? And, and the, the eternal ramifications of him being generous and giving us this piece of property, what it's gonna be like when he gets to heaven. It's gonna be absolutely incredible. And you know, when we sent people out to start Vizio Day, our first church plant, we sent out 130 young adults and a couple hundred thousand dollars. And, and it was just part sending you out and make a difference in the community. And uh, when we filled up this building and you know, by the way, next door when we were in Grace, we grew from 1,000 to 3,000 people in a little over two years. It was amazing how God just showed up and did what, what you could only call miraculous. And then we filled this place up. We're like, we got to get rid of some people. So we said, hey, with 300 of you go to Holly Springs High School. And they did. And now that's become the Apex Campus, which will have over 4,000 people in attendance this weekend. Not just that they went, but you gave. You sacrificed to make that possible. And then we backfilled those seats. Well, we got to get rid of some more people. So we sent 300 people out to Salem Middle School to start our West Cary Campus. Now it's, it's in Morrisville, our permanent campus there. And it's quadrupled and continues to grow and impact that community. But it does happen without a lot of people being all in. So you don't build a campus in Port-au-Prince, Haiti out of the rubble of that country that will have 1,200 people worshiping there this morning unless you got a lot of people who are all in financially to make it happen. Or you're not gonna drill, you're not gonna give over a million dollars to a little country in the heart of Africa, the Central African Republic, so that we can drill wells in villages where they've never had clean drinking water before. Or build a, a worship center uh, in, a, in an orphan village of about a thousand orphans in northern Uganda, just so they'll have a place to worship, just so they'll have a big place to get in out of the sun, so that they can grow up to be leaders of integrity with character, Christian leaders in that country. You don't get to do any of those things unless you have a lot of people that are sold out to God, that are God-centered, that are all in. So I think it's appropriate as we wrap up our series this weekend, uh, Finding God, we talk about how we can become God-centered. And maybe you're visiting with us for the very first time. So let me just review, show you how smart this congregation is. And let's go back over what we learned over the last few weeks. We found out this is based on a survey of 525 churches just like ours across the country. 180,000 people participated in the survey and we found out there's four groups of people that show up at church every weekend. So if you're here, you're in one of these groups. The first group is what? Those who are exploring God. Thank you, the two of you that were here. And uh, 
that's where you're not a Christian yet, but you're checking it out. Maybe you're interested, maybe you're not, maybe you don't even know if there's a God, but you're exploring the possibility. But then if you eventually come to the place where you realize Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and he's the way that you can be reconciled and restored back into a relationship with God, and you accept that free gift, you are now what? Beginning with God, okay? And then the third category is those who are close to God. And then the category we wanna talk about this week are those who are what? God-centered. And we said that there are three main words that 180,000 people said over and over again helped them move along this growth path. From exploring God to beginning with God was what? It was grace. You gotta get to the place where you realize, wow, I am hopelessly lost. I am separated from God. There's nothing I can do to get back myself back into a relationship with God. It's only what God did for me through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave me what I didn't deserve. That's grace. And then to go from beginning with God to close to God was what? The Bible. You gotta get to the place where it's like, the Bible dictates my life. How I live my life, what I do, what I say, it's, it's my guidebook, it's my roadmap for life. By the way, let me just say this, speaking of the Bible, next weekend, which is Palm Sunday, I'm gonna actually give a preview Easter message. And I'm gonna teach next week what I think is the most interesting and intriguing message I have given in 35 years, or 37 years of teaching on the weekends. And this is what it is. What did Jesus do from the minute he rose from the dead till he met with the disciples that evening? You have any idea? I'm telling you, what he did made what we experience and do worth it. Impossible. And so next, I'm gonna tell you what Jesus did, where he went, how he came back, how he took off here, got back here, did this, had a conversation with so-so, went over here. It's gonna be, you, I tell you what, you wanna be here next week. If you're, not, if you're not here next week, you don't even love Jesus. So I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just that obvious, right? No, I'm just kidding. But that will get the Catholics and the Baptists here because we like guilt. That's just what motivates us. Methodists and Lutherans, I haven't figured out anything that motivates you yet, but anyway. So we got beginning with God, then we got close to God, and then we got God-centered. And what was the key word? Yeah, I'm ready to give my life away for the kingdom of God. I'm more interested in building God's kingdom than I'm just building my own kingdom. You know, I'm willing to put the needs and the desires of others over my own needs and desires. So you, you, you gotta give. Now, this, what we've been going through, this has been based on Mark chapter four, the parable of the sower. And I wanna show you a verse this week, Mark chapter four, verse 20. I'm not gonna take the time to read the entire parable because there's some other things I wanna add in this weekend. But now Jesus gets to this fourth group. Now he gets to the part where he says others, verse 20, Mark chapter four, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. That's what it means to be God-centered. God begins to produce his good works through you so that it begins to shape his kingdom. Now, I told you that Matthew also recorded this parable. Luke also recorded it from his perspective. Let me show you what this verse says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is how Luke put it in Luke 8, 15. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So Mark, when he writes, it says those who accept the word. Matthew says those who understand the word. Luke comes along and says those who retain or keep the word, but they all talk about those who receive the word on good ground. Now here's the big question we have to figure out this weekend. What is good ground? Well, to be honest with you, if you go back to Luke 18, Jesus took all the guesswork out of it. Luke said this, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Now I don't know about you, but I wanna be in group four. 
I want to be God-centered. I want to be known as someone, and it's a journey, and I don't even know that I'm there yet, but I want to be known as someone who has a good heart, who has a noble heart. I want God's word to be able to take root in my life and to be productive, to produce fruit. I want my image, my character to begin to match the character of Jesus Christ. I want to make a difference in the kingdom, and I'll tell you why. Because I know, and you should know this too, as a Christian, every one of us are going to stand before God one day, not to determine whether or not we're a Christian. That's already been taken care of. But we are going to stand before God, and he's basically going to ask each one of us a question. What did you do with your life? What did you do with what I gave you? I gave you some time. I gave you some talent. You know, I gave you some money. I gave you some stuff. What did you do with what I gave you? How did it impact my kingdom? And I'm, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I just want to be able to stand there and and explain what I did and what I tried to do and how I tried to live and how I tried to invest in God's kingdom. And I want God to nod and say, all right, not bad. Seemed better, you know, but you were good. You were a faithful service. How do I make sure that happens? Well, the answer is I have to make sure my heart is good ground. Because see, if my heart is good ground, if it's, if, if it's not hard ground, if it's not stony or rocky ground, God's word is gonna take root in my life. It's going to bear fruit. Now, I'm just going to assume that, that that's what you want too, because I'm going to be honest with you. Being used by God, when you realize, wow, God used me to actually impact someone's life, actually maybe change their eternal destiny, I'm telling you, that's a thrill that never goes away. And let, let's be honest, we've all had our little bucket list things, right? Uh, thrills, you know, we, we, we planned our dream vacation. You ever done that? And you finally go on your dream vacation, and it's incredible. A year later, it's just a memory. Thrill's gone, just a memory. Or you, you plan and design and build your dream house, right? The perfect house, you're in it. You make people leave their shoes on the front porch. You know, you're real weird about that. A year later, it's just, a, it's just a house. Marks all over the wall, nail pops. You know what I'm saying? It's just a house. You get your dream car, the leather smell's gone. It's just another car, right? But when God uses you to impact someone's life, we, you know, in the video when, when they came to our house to interview us uh, about the church thing, um, we shared the story of Michelle Mercer. And I still, I still remember it was like it was yesterday. And to think that here she is, in fact, I have a picture of her today with her kids grown up. She has a new husband that's a Christian, great family. But that their dad took his life on Father's Day. They were one and two years old. And how our church rallied around and how they gave. And, and I, in fact, I went to Michigan and I, I, where he was from and I did the funeral. And, and, but I, every time, every time I talk to Michelle or she texts me or we, we email or anytime we connect and Laura and I, we've been traveling up in that area a couple of times where we've been able to, to, to find them and, and have dinner and, and lunch with them and things like that. It's like the thrill never goes away. Like God used us to make a difference in her life. So how do we make sure that our hearts are good ground so that we can be used by God to impact other people's lives? I'm gonna give you three simple things. Here's the first one. We have to keep our hearts humble. You may remember the first week Jesus told the parable. When he finished, he said, hey, those of you who have ears to hear, let them hear. And the crowd like, woo -hoo, and they all went home. And Jesus was left with just the disciples. And they're like, Jesus, we don't have a clue what you were talking about. Could you explain it? And then remember, he explained the parable down toward the end of Mark chapter 4. But we didn't spend uh, any time in that middle section. So I want to go back into that middle section because it helps us understand what Jesus is talking about here. And I want to look at it from Matthew's perspective. Matthew chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, 13 verse 10, this is what it says. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been, has been given to you, but not to them. You know what that means? You're gonna get it because you're, opening, you're open to get it. 
You're interested in what I, you're opening yourself up to the possibility that I am who I say I am and that I am ushering in a new kingdom. So you're going to get it. And notice what it says. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. You know what he was saying? If you understand who I am and what my kingdom's all about, first of all, you're gonna get to live the life you really wanna live. And that's a life of forgiveness. That's a life of peace. It's a life of joy. It's a life that has purpose. It's a life that has meaning. But not only that, Jesus said, understand when you die, you will spend all eternity with me in a place called heaven. But notice what else it says. Whoever does not have, and this is who, now he's talking about the category. Now you'll see why I say that in just a second. They're not interested in the kingdom of God. They, could care, they couldn't give a flip who Jesus is. They're just like, life's now. There's no big deal. They're not open to any of this. Look what it says. Even what they have will be taken from them. You know what that's basically saying? You can't take it with you. So Jesus is saying, hey, you really better enjoy this life because that's it. And you're gonna lose it all when you die anyway, and then you're gonna have nothing to look forward for all eternity. That's, that's some pretty bold stuff Jesus is saying, right? Then he says this, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And they don't hear or understand because they just aren't interested. They don't wanna hear. They don't even wanna try to understand. And then Jesus tells us why, verse 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, and he quotes Isaiah, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become, there's the key word, callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. The word turn is the same a Greek word that we translate repent. It means you do a 180. You realize, wow, maybe it's not all about me. Maybe there is more to this life than just me living this life. Maybe God does play a role in my life, right? If they would just understand with their hearts and turn, look what it says, I would heal them. I'd fix them. I'd change their life. I would blow their mind. Now, in case you're totally confused, this is what Jesus is saying. The heart is the key to life transformation. Your heart is the key for you living the life that you really want to live. Your heart is the key to your character beginning to match the character of Jesus. Your heart is the key to you being used by God to impact people's lives in this culture. It is not your biblical knowledge. It's not your talent. It's not your money. It's not your education. He is saying the reason they don't understand the spiritual truth that I'm giving them, it's a heart issue. Their hearts are callous. And the reason their hearts are callous is because they haven't protected their hearts. And because of that, the ground is hard. The seed can't take root. The life can't be changed. So here's the question. How do we protect our hearts so that the word of God can take root and change our lives? Well, one of the ways we protect our hearts is we have to keep our hearts humble. I'll give you a couple of interesting passages. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'm gonna remove your hard heart and I'm gonna give you a soft heart so that it will be receptive to the word of God. Now, here's the question. How, how does being humble or how does humility make your heart soft? Let me show you another verse. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says. Obviously, he's talking about God because it goes on to say, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. Look at this. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, here it is, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Contrite means you're humble. Do you know what God is saying here? He says, man, if you just humble yourself, if you could just get over yourself, 
If you could just put your pride on the shelf for a minute. If you could just realize that maybe there's a possibility that there's something out there bigger than myself and that deity is interested in being in a relationship with me. Boy, if you ever got to the, the place where you thought, man, I really, actually, I am totally lost without God. He says, if you would just humble yourself, I would revive your heart. I would make it good ground. So let me give you the principle. From God's perspective, the way you go higher is going lower. Now, this is counterintuitive to the culture. This is, in our culture, it's, you know, climb over whoever you need to, right? Walk all over them. But God said, well, that's fine. That's the way it works in your world. But in my kingdom, this is how it works. You want to go higher, you got to go lower. God says this, I will exalt, I will lift up the one who humbles themselves. John the Baptist came along, John chapter 3, verse 30, and he says, he must become greater, I must become less. Jesus came along and said, hey, you want to be great? Be a servant. There you go, right? So if we can keep our hearts humble, our hearts will be good ground. You can even see it in these circles. I tell you what, to go from exploring God to beginning with God, grace, you gotta realize I can't do this on my own. I am 100% helpless to be in relationship with God. I gotta humble myself and take that gift. Second, go, the Bible. You gotta get to the place where, you know what, I feel this. This is about people who come to me for counseling. Well, I think this, well, I feel this. Well, I don't really care what you think or feel. This is what the Bible says. And you gotta be humble to say, I don't think it or feel it, but this is what God's word says. I'm gonna bring my life into alignment with God's word. A lot of people can never get past here because they can't humble themselves to allow God's word to dictate what they do and what they say in their life. And then giving, are you kidding me? That you're gonna put others' needs above your own needs? It's, I tell you, the way you go higher is by going lower. So we have to keep our hearts humble. Here's the second one. We have to keep our hearts holy. First Peter 1 Peter 1.15, uh, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And we don't like that. We flinch when we hear the word holy because good gracious, if you've been around church, we equate holy with sinless perfection, okay? So let me just ask you a question. Uh, how many of you have sinned at least one in your life? Raise your hand. At least once you've sinned, okay? How many of you are, would say I'm not perfect? Raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you need to go home and listen to point number one about humility, okay? Because you're, you're also a liar. But anyway, anyway. But we think sinless perfection, that's what holiness means. Well, let me just make something clear. God is sinless and God is perfect, but that's not what the word holy means. Because if that's what the word holy means, guess what, we're in trouble. Because we just admitted we all sin and we, we're, we're all imperfect, right? So we're on the outside looking in. So what does it really mean to be holy? Uh, let me give you a better definition for holy and I'll show you where I get that from in a second. It means to be set apart, set apart. So God is basically saying, I've set apart myself for you, you set apart yourself for me. In other words, think about this, we can choose to be holy. We can't choose to be perfect, but we can choose to be set apart for God to do something in and through our lives. Here's the verse, Leviticus 20, verse 26. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. So how do you keep your heart set apart for God's use? Well, here's a simple answer. You gotta be careful about what you let into your heart. You gotta be careful about the attitudes you let into your heart, the hurt, the disappointment, the thoughts. I mean, there are lots of thoughts that pass through our minds every day. And those thoughts that you choose to hang on to, that you, that you choose just to meditate on and just ruminate on it, and you just turn it over and over in your mind, it becomes a part of your heart. It becomes a part of, of the fabric of who you are, your innermost being. In other words, if there's an evil thought that comes to your mind, and it could be lust or hate or pride or bitterness or resentment or greed or anger or fear, 
and, and you choose to push that thought out of your mind. You choose, I am not gonna dwell on what just happened. I'm not gonna dwell on what they said. I'm not gonna dwell on that thought. I am not gonna allow that thought to take root in my life. See, that thought doesn't go to your heart. It doesn't become a part of you. It doesn't become that baggage that 10, 15 years later you're still chained to and dragging it into every relationship and every situation that you find yourself in. So understand, we keep our hearts set apart from those kinds of things so that we can be set apart for the God things, the things he wants to do in our life. And if we do that, God's word will take root and God will use us. I mean, being set apart, another word for it is consecration. It's like when you got up, maybe this one, you set your clothes apart for a specific purpose. I set them apart to wear to church today. That's what I did. So when you set your heart aside, your life aside, you say, God, I'm really setting it aside, not for my own desires and wills and purposes, but for yours. That's what it means to be holy. By the way, a uh, little side note. Uh, when we started the church, uh, some of the guys that came here with me from California, we were a part, you'll love this, a part of a gospel, southern gospel quartet, which was weird, but they liked that junk in northern California. And... Uh, and we actually, you know, we actually won some contests and we got some recording contracts. And, and uh, we, in fact, I have a picture uh, of us, one of our CDs that we put out. But look, we had hair and everything back in those days. And, and, uh, and so we used to travel and sing. And one time we flew into Indianapolis and we started doing concerts all the way down through the East Coast, through North Carolina, down to Atlanta. And so when I mentioned I was moving to North Carolina, they're like, hey, we've been there, we'll go with you. And so that was kind of the seed that these guys, so I thought, you know, since our name was set apart, we haven't sung in about 13 years, but I thought, let's just try it. So anyway, guys, come on out here, and, uh, and we're going to see, we're going to put the band back here. Now, we used to sing with a band and everything, but there's no way in a good conscience I could ask our band to play Southern gospel music. That would just destroy them. And so, but there was one song we used to do uh, that was a cappella, and uh, don't, don't expect a whole lot because Jeff is just recovering from hip surgery. Becky had bronchitis all week. Russ is covering from pneumonia. And I just had my annual physical and my doctor said, you gotta get better just to die. That's how bad a shape you're in. So, <laughs> so we're gonna do this and uh, we'll see what happens. You ready? Okay, here we go. I'm gonna tell you about the coming of the judgment. Fare thee well. Fare thee well, I'm gonna tell you about the coming of the judgment. Fare thee well, fare thee well, there's a better day coming. Fare thee well, fare thee well, there's a better day coming. Fare thee well, fare thee well, in that great a getting up morning. Fare thee well, fare thee well, in that great a getting up morning. Fare thee well, fare thee well, in that great a getting up morning. Fare thee well. Fare thee well in that great a getting up morning. Fare thee well, fare thee well. When you see the lightning a flashing, fare thee well, fare thee well. When you hear the thunder a crashing, fare thee well, fare thee well. When you see the stars a falling, fare thee well, fare thee well. When you hear the chariots calling, fare thee well, fare thee well. In that great a getting up morning, fare thee well. Fare thee well in that great a getting up morning. Fare thee well, fare thee well. When you see the lightning flashing, when you hear the thunder crashing, when you see the stars are falling, when you hear the chariots calling. Good news, good news, chariots coming. Good news, good news, chariots coming. So glad, so glad, chariots coming, and I don't wanna be left out. 
there's a long white robe in heaven, I know. Long white robe in the heavens, I know. Long white robe in the heavens, I know. I said good news. Good news, chariots coming. Good news. Good news, chariots coming. So glad. So glad, chariots coming. And I don't want to be left out. In that great, I get in the morning, fare thee well. Fare thee well. In that great, I get in the morning, fare thee well. Fare thee well. Great, I get in the morning, fare thee well, fare thee well, in that great, I get in the morning, fare thee well, fare thee And none of us died. So there you go. Um, my mom came up to me, 90, yeah, last night. We should do that every week. I said, Mom, the minute we decide we want to shut the church down, that's exactly what we're going to start doing. We're going to start doing that kind of music every week. So you got to have a humble heart. You got to have a holy set apart heart. Here's the third one. Uh, we have to keep our hearts heavenly. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, as Christians, we have to keep our hearts focused on the fact, you know what, we're just kind of passing through this world. The Bible says we're pilgrims, we're strangers. This isn't our home, this isn't our final destination. We have an eternal home in heaven, that's gonna be our final destination. And that's why we keep our hearts focused on heavenly, eternal things, not just the temporal things, not just the shiny objects, you know, not what, what's the next great trip we're gonna go on, what's the next great experience that we're gonna have, what's the next, thing, the next best thing I can buy, I can get. Don't do that. I mean, James, and, you know, when James wrote the little letter, you know what he said in it? He said, that's a waste of your life. Best case scenario, say you live 100 years. He says, in the big scheme of things, in the big scheme of eternity, your life's like a vapor. I mean, it's here for a season, gone. But eternity, we're talking forever. So this is the way I think of it. For, for Christians, this life, it's just like the warm-up show for eternity. And what we do in this life is actually gonna determine how we live our eternity. So we have to focus on eternal things. And one of the things that's eternal is the word of God. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. And so I have to keep my heart focused on what God's word says. I have to keep my heart focused on eternal things because you know what? That's what motivates me to keep going. That's what motivates me to stay focused. That's what motivates me to stay faithful. And it should be what motivates you all to. This, uh, also, this is what Paul said in Colossians 3.1. Since, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, we started this series by saying 525 churches, 180,000 people surveyed. And in this survey, and many of you took this survey, you'll remember taking it, there were some, some statements that people had the chance to either agree with, mildly agree with, or strongly agree with. And here are the statements that the people who were in group four, who were God-centered, these are statements they strongly agreed, they believed to, they were committed to for their life. Here's the first one. I believe that nothing I do or have done can earn my salvation. So that's the only way you get from here to here. Second, I believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God. Third, I believe that the Bible has decisive authority over what I say and do. Here's the next one. I exist to know, love, and serve God. 
I mean, let's be honest, even as Christians, how many of us could say, that's why I exist? We'd have a hard time doing that, wouldn't we? Here's another one. I am willing to sac everything, sacrifice everything that is important in my life for Jesus Christ. I remember when we, we, were, we started out in, in East Cary Middle School and we grew to about 100 in about a year and a half and we got kicked out because they were gonna remodel. So we had to go find this little building that became the fire trap and we had no money. But for us to get into that building that, that day, there was a Sunday, that day we had to raise $10,000. That might as well have been $10 million to us today. So I said, hey, I'm gonna meet you over this space tonight and about 30 adults showed up and, um, and the rest were kids, the kids didn't even come. And so I'm like, okay, here's the vision. And I, didn't, I wasn't even buying into it myself, but I'm trying to convince them, this is what we could do here, you know? And then I said, no, listen, I know you guys. And I know you're like me. I'm working construction on the side. They're doing their waitressing. They're doing whatever they can to make enough money to survive. I said, guys, we got to come up with $10,000. We got $3,000 first month rent, $3,000 security deposit. I got to go to Sam's and buy some of the cheapest chairs they got because we got to have church in here in two weeks. We're going to be homeless in two weeks. And so I said, we didn't have an offering plate. We couldn't even afford that. So I put a, I put a box on a chair and I said, okay, we're going to pray. And I don't have time for you to go home and pray. I just need you. Whatever you got, we got to give it. We got to figure out how to do it. And we, we collected $13,000. But let me tease them. Jeff and Becky, the couple, their car had just been hit. And the guy said, man, I, I don't want to get insurance. And he just wrote Jeff, Jeff a check for 1300 bucks. So Jeff and Becky prayed. And they took that check out. They co-signed it. And they put it in the box. Like, we can live with a dent. But see, that, that's what it's saying. If it needs to be done, I'm going to make sure it gets done. I'll trust God. I'm gonna put him first. Here's the next one. I pray for non-believers to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, maybe you're not there yet, but could you at least invite them to church on Easter so maybe they can at least get into this group and start checking things out, right? Here's the next one. I give away my time to serve others. Uh, when I decided, when Laura and I decided we were gonna leave the Bay Area of California and come here and start Hope, the first couple I call is my sister and brother-in-law. They live in Durham. Tom had his own business. Cindy has a very prominent job at Duke. And uh, my sister's been in one church her entire life, her whole life. And I called her and I said, would you guys consider leaving that church and helping Laura and I start this church? And they said, sure, we'll do that. Now, when I came, they actually said, we only said yes because we didn't think you were stupid enough to do it. <laughs> but they said, we said yes, so we were in. So here's the thing. They have served, except being out of town on vacation, they have served in Kid City every weekend for 25 years. They've never said, I need a break. I need a sabbatical. I'm, I'm just worn out. 25 years, they show up, they serve, they go to church, they do it again next week. And the joy, but see, I give my time to serve others. And here's the last one. My first priority in spending is to support God's work. I remember when we were next door in the gym and it was coming down and we had to get this building built and um, we were short and somebody came up to me and said, hey, let's take the last two weeks of the year and people who haven't committed or given, he said, I'll match whatever they give up to $100,000. So I went back and I said, hey, we got somebody who will double your money. Let's do it, let's rally, right? But you, it's got to, if you've never given to the building, you've never, and so in two weeks, now, this is when we were in the school, okay? In two weeks, 
we gave $186,000 just from people who hadn't given toward the building. So I went to lunch with this guy and he said, how'd we do? And I said, well, actually, I said, thank you. It, it went really well. We, instead of 100, we actually raised $186,000. And he said, oh, wow. He says, well, you know what? They gave it, I felt obligated that I should match it. So he pulled out his checkbook, you millennials, that's a piece of paper that you used to be able to like transfer money on, you sign this stuff. Anyway, you, uh, go home and watch an old movie or something. But uh, ask your grandparents. But he, uh, he pulled out his checkbook, his little personal checkbook, and wrote Hope Community Church, $186,000. But this is what I thought was funny. He turned to the check register, for those of you who have had a check, you know how you, like, you go to Food Line and spend $4.17, you write it down to keep, he, he wrote Hope Community Church, $186,000, and started doing the subtraction, how much he had left in his check. I'm like, I am confident I will never, ever in my life do that, right? <laughs> right? He was actually here last service when I told that story. But... I mean, from this guy just saying, I'm gonna be generous. We went from maybe collecting 100,000 to collecting 186,000 that turned into $372,000. Multiplied some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. But these are the statements that were strongly agreed to by those who were God-centered. Now we spent time in this parable and it's talked about the sower, the soil, the seed, the fruit. I wanna close with one last passage. It's in Isaiah 55 and it talks about the same thing, but it's got a familiar section in here you may or may not have heard, but it's so important. It says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Look at this, verse 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Look at what it will do. You will go out in joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. That's why we continue to go, sin, pray, give, because God has promised us wherever we take his word, it brings life to barren desert land. That's what that verse is saying. And so when we send people out to Garner this fall, to go into Garner High School and launch that campus, understand we're sending the word of God there that is gonna change the fabric of that community. It will put marriages back together. It will salvage families. It will change people's life. That's the promise. It's never going to return empty. It's gonna produce, it's gonna be productive. So this weekend, yeah, we're celebrating 25 years of God's faithfulness, but I tell you, we're not even near being finished. I'm not near being finished. I, I told Laura, I got 20 years left in me. I may, listen, I may be up here in a diaper and some weekends forget my pants, just be gracious, okay? I'm saying, I'm saying, but I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I just can't even imagine not being a part of Hope Community Church. I like what Winston Churchill said during World War II when the days were so dark in England. He says this, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. See, this isn't the celebration and culmination of what God has done. This is nothing more than the beginning of what I know he's gonna to continue to do if we stay faithful and if our hearts stay good. And people come up to me all the time. They're running to me in Target or Walmart or wherever and say, wow, it must be so rewarding for you guys what God has done. Let me tell you something. If you're a part of what God is doing here, you're giving, you're serving, you're investing, you're inviting, you should feel just as rewarded. 
And as we enter into this next chapter, I'm telling you, I'm gonna call for some big faith. In fact, when they approached me about the idea of celebrating, I said, I don't wanna do that. I just wanna finish my series and get out of it. And, and uh, they said, well, we gotta celebrate. And I'm kind of, uh. And so um, they said, well, what would, make, what would make it a win for you? I said, this would make it a win. We turn it into something for God. And this is what I thought. You know, we're, we're supposed to get, the Bible talks about our tithes and offerings. Our tithes, what we're supposed to give consistently. 10%, it's what you're supposed to give. Our offering is what we give on top of that. Like R and I, we've tied for years, but some, some years we give 30% of our income away. So that's like another 20%. So we're like, this is what I want us to do. Above your regular giving between now and April 30th. And this is nothing when you think what we raised next door when we were just in the gym. I want us to raise $400,000 above our regular giving. Now let me tell you why that number is important. That's what it costs for us to launch the Garner campus. That pays for all the trailers, that pays for all the sound, that pays for all the instruments, that pays for all the cribs that need to be set up every week in the kid's city, that pays, that pays for everything. It gets everything paid for. And here's the other thing. God has cracked the door open and the possibility of us getting a Fuquay campus going. Let me just say this. I'll know by April 28th, but if this happens and I'm like 80% sure it's gonna happen, it will be the equivalent of Mr. Martin giving us this property that we built Buck Jones Road on. So God is moving. Even when we're not, God is moving. And so if we respond really strongly to this giving initiative, we're gonna be in great shape if those doors open up in Fuquay because we've got, we've got literally hundreds of people at the Apex campus who are just dying to leave and go to Fuquay and start impacting that community with the hope of God's word. So that's what we're all about. So I, I just, listen, for some of you, the stretch might be $10 for a hundred bucks, thousand bucks, you figure it out. For some of you, you could easily do uh, 10,000. Some of you could do 50,000, you honestly could. You honestly could. I just had a lady come up to me last service. She said, my husband and I got $10,000 we weren't expecting. We didn't know what to do with it. God told us what to do with it. We're giving it toward Garner. And not only that, we're gonna go and be a part of it. See, that's somebody that says, okay, I'm in. I'm in, God, what are you gonna use me to do? And God uses people like that. So you're gonna to have to April the 30th, if you write a check, you just put Garner on it. If you go online to give in the memo, put Garner on it, you know. Uh, if, if whatever you do, if you use the app, just put, but what, I'm telling you, I believe God's gonna do some amazing things. We, this is the verse we used to have on Chapel Hill Road at the back of the auditorium when we were in the fire trap. It says this, Ephesians 3.20, verse 3.21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. So he's gonna get the glory. So get off the sidelines. Well, I'm an old coach and many of you played sports. Nobody wants to sit on the sideline with a clean uniform. Get dirty, you know, get a little sweaty. Get your shirt tail out, you know? And let's do something for the kingdom of God so that one day we can all look back and say, oh, I remember. And God wrote me into his story right there because I was a part of it. And I think God's gonna do some amazing things. Father, thank you for your goodness. And we, we thank you now for what you're gonna do because we have a track record. We can look back now and we can see times we weren't faithful and you were still faithful. And we can see times where you nudged us in certain directions because you were gonna open a door, but we balked. But even in spite of us, you've been faithful. You've built your church. So we're gonna do our best to be more faithful. And we're gonna do our best to have good hearts so that your word, the seed can take root in our lives. And not only our lives can be changed, but our neighborhoods, our community, our state, our nation, oh my gosh, our nation is just crumbling. Help us to be the light that makes a difference to the world, to the ends of the earth. In your name we pray.
Amen.